everyone, and welcome to a very special Christmas Eve episode of Civcast. I am your host, Kyle, joined by my co-host, Dan. Hello, Dan. Merry early Christmas to you, Kyle, and everyone else out there in Radio Land. To you as well. And we kind of got treated a little bit for this uh, this this season. We got a winter update and some DLC from Firaxis, so big thanks to them. And I think that's probably going to take up the majority of our episode here as we jump into the change log of these notes and kind of give you our thoughts on, uh, on these different um, pieces of DLC, because... Because, Dan, you you alerted me to some controversy that might be on the horizon here, uh, especially for our digital deluxe edition buyers. But before we do all of that, as is our tradition, why break it on Christmas Eve? Tell us, Dan, all about the CivCast Challenge and what we're looking at in terms of recaps and uh, going forward. Yeah, so I wanted to highlight two people's recaps specifically for the two challenges that they had to go with this week. Uh, um, Rick... Uh, Rick underscore TTT underscore EN on Twitter. He completed the culture challenge with Norway um, and he shared, uh, you know, a really cool Twitter kind of timeline uh, for us where he equated it a bit like uh, a bit like the storyline for a Game of Thrones episode, which is really fantastic. So uh, Rick, we thank you for that and for sharing that with us and keeping us entertained with that for sure. I think he mentioned something about how he had different characters from, uh, or not mentioned, I mean, he, he kind of created the scenario where, uh, you know, the leaders of his uh, his various southern going fleets were um, people from Game of Thrones. And it was just, it was really cool and really fun to, uh, to follow along with. And so Rick, you get the points for uh, the first challenge, the Norway challenge, and the Germany challenge is actually completed by a new competitor. His name is Joseph or Josef. I apologize for my, shoddy pronunciation he is at j-o-z-e-f underscore g-s on twitter he won the germany quick challenge uh, the online speed challenge on fractal map with a science victory on turn 162 and uh yeah taking a look at the screenshots that he shared on twitter with us it uh it looks like it was a a productive game if you will with germany he uh he had a very busy looking map by the looks of it, as as is your want when you play Germany. And so we congratulate him heartily on that victory. I will have the leaderboard updated this week, um, along with information on the new challenge. Excellent. Yes, thank you again to everyone who played, especially during this um, interestingly busy holiday season. I know um, both Dan and I have been running around like crazy people and will continue to do so today as we get ready to hang out with family and friends and all of that good stuff. So thank you guys again for taking some time. Uh, it is Christmas Eve, so potentially tomorrow we will have some new people out there playing Civ if uh, Santa delivers it under the tree as a as a, um, a a box edition, or you know maybe it'll just wind up in your Steam library overnight. Who knows? But um, I kind of wanted to give a shout out to anyone that's just joining the show, uh, any anything like that. Please take a listen to some of our archive here. We talk about some really cool stuff, as you're going to hear today. We're going to go over all of the updates to the game. And a big shout-out to our friends over at the Civ Wiki, who we're going to be referencing here and there today uh, to talk about Poland, because... They are an awesome one-stop shop for anything you need uh, in terms of game mechanics and things like that. So don't be afraid afraid to Google the uh, the Civilization Wikia and find them. They have some awesome stuff. But Dan, I think now um, do, you still need to, you need to lay out what's happening for us next week, huh? On the challenge. 
Yeah. So, and as Kyle said, I just wanted to echo welcome to all those who have found themselves a nice little steam key or a, God forbid, a boxed copy mm-hmm. of the game underneath the Christmas tree. I, I don't know the last time I got a boxed copy of a game, you know, as a gift or whatever. But if you did, hey, props to you. Welcome to the game. You're going to have a lot of fun. The uh, Civcast challenge for next week is going to involve Poland. So it is going to uh, firstly require you uh, shell out a couple bucks. So hopefully you got, you know, one of those handy little Steam gift cards in your stocking. Maybe Santa was extra kind to you. Um, the challenge is going to involve Poland. So that is your sieve. Uh, Poland, and we're going to get in depth on them, but Poland kind of allows for you know, a couple different play types. I think you would probably agree, Kyle. Mm-hmm. And so I thought in order to kind of allow for some diversity in play here, uh, I think that we're going to allow for two victory types, religious or domination, oh. um, depending on, yeah, depending on which way you want to play. So religious or domination. Um, the difficulty, we're going to keep on emperor. That seems to be our uh, sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And for the map... And now I, I got my – Firaxis was kind enough to give me a little Christmas gift this week, Kyle, because they actually, on the winter update, uh, brought along my very, very favorite map in Civilization, which is the Planet Earth map, yes. which, um, which we are going to get into, I think, talking about in a little bit. But for the purposes of this Sibcast challenge, uh, you're going to run the Planet Earth map, and you're going to run it on a large size – um, I believe it's called large, but whatever the size is that gives you 12 civilizations, that is the map size that I want folks to do. Because to me, I have always just loved my games on the Earth, uh, the Planet Earth emulated maps, and especially when you get a lot of civs and you get to kind of play around and check out where each of these historical civs has ended up. So you might start off with Poland and, you know, the, the tip of South America, and you might have to fight the Japanese who are stationed in Brazil off and, and things like that. And uh, so I really highly encourage you, if you haven't played a Planet Earth map, to, to engage this, to try it out and to have uh, have a ton of fun with it. Because frankly, I adore the Planet Earth maps in these games. Yeah, I you know, I, I've never really given them as much um, as much of a, a test as I, as I should have. So... Um, I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. Uh, yeah, they've been adding some interesting stuff. And, and so let's let's dive in here to our, our winter update. As an FYI, we're going to post all those new challenge rules up on the website. Um, apologies that I was a little bit behind in getting some of that stuff up this past week. Just like I said, a little bit hectic, but we're going to get those up today. So you can head over to kyledemsterstudios.com backslash civcast, and uh, you'll find a link to the challenge there. If you need a handier link to find it, you can go to bit.ly backslash civcast, and that will all also take you there. So bit.ly backslash Civcast, and you're going to go and find all of the challenge updates and notes and all that stuff. So without further ado, let's segue right into our winter update because, Dan, we, we got two things in our stocking this week. Well, should we say three? We got the winter update itself, which is a free update to anyone that owns the game. And then we got two individual pieces of DLC, one being the Viking scenario pack and the other being the Polish civilization pack. So two different DLCs, each at $5 a piece. 
Let's, I'm trying to think where we even start on this. Let's tackle this free update that came our way, Dan. So you mentioned we got this awesome Earth map that came for us. It um, is apparently in a standard size. So very, very cool to get into that. We saw the return of the alert action for units. This is something that I took heavy advantage of in my first game in with this new patch. And it really is a good throwback to Civ Five and, and previous because alert was my go-to function. So for anyone that's not remembering alert that's um as as opposed to fortifying your units and telling them to go into like a sleep or hibernation alert will wake them up when there's an enemy and a few hexes of them so they uh come back to your attention and you know there's something happening dan have you 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 said you were already in civ since this new update have you been taking advantage of alert yeah into a planet earth map uh game and uh, i started off as france and i got positioned in the traditional territories sort of Brazil area. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, for military units that I had stationed, I, I turned alert on. It helped barbarians for sure. Did you think this is something that should have come uh, baked into the base game? Or is this something you're fine with getting a couple months later? Where do you stand? Yeah, I have no problem with it. I think that they had a lot of, uh, you know, they had a lot of functional things for military units right out of the gate. Um, certainly alert was something that I could have benefited from early on because sometimes you overlook the appearance, the appearance of a barbarian on your, uh, the outskirts of your city or something like that, that an alert could definitely, uh, or help, I guess you could say, but, um, I mean, I wasn't mad that it wasn't there. It wasn't something that I felt like I was necessarily missing and a person who is very, um, you know, attentive is going to, isn't going to miss that at all. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I wasn't super missing it. I'm very happy that it's back. I think it, uh, you know, it might be a part of their initial push. I remember Fraxis in some of their very first interviews for Civ Six saying that this game is all about paying attention to things versus like in Civ Five, a lot of automation had taken over. Um, and and I wonder kind of where this idea had netted out with them if they were trying to avoid putting this in there at the start just because it seemed a little bit too automated and now we're at this point where it's like okay you know let's just do some fan service and whatever they really really want let's give it to them so i guess at the end of the day i'm extremely happy that they are listening to you know community requests and and that's all we can really ask for uh so they did some updates to the scenario setup menu we I don't have much to say about that. I'm not a huge scenario guy, but we'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, You now have the option to replay Wonder Completion movies. I didn't see that when I had played the game. Dan, did you run into that feature at all, the replay? Liable to watch the movies again? Yes. The replay, the Wonder movies? No, I I didn't see that. No, I think I only built two Wonders um, since the update was released, and I think they're both Wonders that I'm extremely familiar with, like Hanging Gardens and uh, um, Coliseum. So I've seen those videos like four or five times, so I have no real desire to watch them more than once in a sitting. Same here. Let's see. We got some uh, gameplay updates. Religious units may now fortify until healed. Uh, That's kind of cool if you're you're a big religious player. Uh, Coastal raids can now pillage districts in addition to buildings within them, uh, which seemed very necessary, and I always thought that was a bit weird. They couldn't pillage the district proper. Uh, They put in some changes so your great admirals no longer spawn in lakes um, or wonder tiles. I had not have had that happen to me in Civ 6, but I'm sure it's No, happened. it hadn't happened. Yeah, I hadn't had it happen to me either, but I'd seen a lot of Reddit posts about it, a lot of JPEG Reddit one-offs that show people spawning great admirals in lakes. Nothing more depressing than that, because, you know, it's just that it's something you strive for, and then just to lose it for the game kind of sucks. 
Um, skipping over some of these balance things, Dan, if you have something you want to call out here in a second, go for it. But I just want to touch quickly on AI tuning to say, um, again, we get some more things to help them out. There is some deal negotiations, uh, updates. There's some work on the AI handling its promises. That's The promises may be one of the most disappointing features long running for me in the Civilization games is – that, you know, these AIs come over and they make these ridiculous demands on your play style, curtailing what you can do, like settling and all these other things. And yet we really don't have any way to punish them in return. And I understand it's, it is an AI and it's a program, but I still kind of want the tools and the groundwork to be able to say, no, 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 I'm mad at you for this. And then have that AI kind of decide if my my threat is enough of them to like enough for them to make a promise and keep it. Does that make sense, Dan? Am I rambling? No, I, I mean it makes it makes sense perfectly to me. I, I I don't think that as it pertains to the AI, we are given enough functional things that can affect the AI standing um, in the in the game in the whole. So whereas they can denounce you and ha- that can have global effects and that can seriously impede your ability to exercise diplomacy or to really do anything um, at a large scale on the map, I find that we don't really have the ability to do that. And when we try to do that as human players, I feel like the other AI doesn't respond to it as well as it should. So I'm curious to see if some of these updates uh, will remedy that and will make it a, make it a bit better. Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I kind of wish that we actually had the specifics to even tell them why we're denouncing them. Because if you notice, it, really, it's just a denounce button. Like, here you go. I'm just denouncing you out of the blue. Like, there's yeah. not really like, yeah. oh, it's because you settled a city on my border. Like, how annoying of you, Gandhi, or something like that. You know, you really yeah. have no way to enforce it. So, fingers crossed that we get something like that. But, again, um, just more bonuses to the AI's handling of things like uh, forts. They're going to use those now. They're actually going to have some interest in building the Terracotta Army. Uh, bug fixes. Um, several. This one scares me so much. This is like my fear in one of these games. Um, the bug fix says several uh, unique buildings weren't getting their yields increased by various game effects, including policies. That stuff scares me, Dan, because that's all under the hood sort of things that we can't easily calculate. I mean, if you want to get your calculator out and do these complex equations, that's one thing. But, you know, you're, you're slotting in a policy card hoping that all of your you know money goes up or something like that or that you're getting new uh, culture from buildings, something of that sort, and then to not actually see it result in a tangible yield. That is like one of those vague, scary things to me. Um, it's like a bug you can't really even see is happening as a player. No, I hear you. And you put a lot of faith in the assumption that the calculations are correct. And so if they're not, as a result of a bug, it's it, it can seriously impede the game without even without you even realizing that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, here's a question for or something maybe I'd like to see going forward. I was just thinking this the other day while playing. When you're slotting policy cards in, I don't know if this would be OP or something or if this breaks something that I'm not even paying attention to. But when you're slotting in new policy cards, one thing I notice is... Those yields, they all take effect on the next turn, which is great. And, I, and if that's how they want it for that specific reason, I get it and I can go along with it. But I'm thinking it might be beneficial if whenever you're slotting in those policy cards, it would be interesting to see a real-time reflection of, you know, if I'm going to put in the one that's going to increase my trade uh, money that I'm getting, like plus two gold per trade route, it'd be great if that was actively reflected while you're on that screen before you hit commit to those policies. Do you think that's like an overpowered uh, thing or would that just make sense? 
No, that makes sense. The more information, the better. I mean, it allows you to make better decisions. It allows you to know if the policy that you're replacing, you know, the actual, um, the, the, the new one that you're putting in is at all advantageous to you, at all beneficial. And I think that like our friend Innocentia69 said a couple of weeks ago, and I, I keep expounding this, but the more information at your fingertips, the better info should not be hidden. And I feel like that's something that would absolutely 100% affect people's enjoyment to the game, as well as people's understanding of the interactions that they're having with the game. And I think that's that's super critical to further enjoyment is understanding how each change you're making, um, you know, is is important or is relevant or is good, frankly. Yeah, there's there's nothing more depressing than, you know, waiting, let's say, just ballpark here, like seven, ten turns, whatever it is, until you get your free policy card slot thing, only to slot something in and realize, like, oh, crap, it actually took gold away from my per turn, you know, rate. So, I don't know, something like that could be something that would be a very useful um you know, addition in the future. But I really, really, really uh, have to say I'm, I'm loving these changes. There's some new visual stuff happening, new uh, art for national parks. I didn't, I really haven't seen too many national parks in the game. Um, there's an apparently an updated swordsman, didn't notice that, and updated mines over several eras. When I read this, I started to kind of second guess, and I think I might have seen the new mines. Uh, they looked a little different to me, but I wasn't sure if that's just because I had switched civilizations. But um, some cool stuff here. Any Anything else that really stood out to you, Dan, in this large list of updates? Well, I would have to point to the improvements on uh, yields and output for the Spanish mission and for the French chateau. I mean, you know me. I love the Spanish. And the bump in faith output from mission that they give Philip, I think, is, is fantastic and should bump him up a tier or two and make him a much more kind of viable top tier sieve. Um, the French, I'm just starting a game with them now. Mm. So I am intrigued to see how, because um, I know that you have to play them culture. I think their, yeah. their, their bias for victory bias is towards culture. And I'm intrigued to see how the Chateau improvements are going to work. Um, and I think that stuff like that is great. That is the kind of stuff you off multiplayer games or games uh that you know games that um involve uh you know characters or online elements and stuff like that you know i'm talking games like league of legends or overwatch or wherever you see characters that are hot fixed on the fly whose attributes are improved and things like that to kind of correspond with balance issues really and i love that Firaxis is 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 doing that they saw a fundamental flaw maybe in philip's um, ability to win religious games they saw the mission wasn't as strong as it should be they give it a faith bump um same thing with the chateau not as strong as it could be not providing as much advantages as it should they bump up the culture. And I think that's I think that's what you have to do as a developer. Um, if you're gonna be providing um, constant you know, DLC and you're gonna be asking people to spend money on this game frequently, well, then you yourself should be um, updating it as frequently as possible to offset these, uh, you know, these balance issues. And they've done that with the AI. We've talked about that at length. Mm -hmm. And it's good to see them doing it um, with the civs themselves. So, um, you know, bravo to Firaxis there. Um, I don't know if you want to use this to transition into some of the controversy, though, that people were stirring up as it pertains to the actual scenario packs themselves, though. I think that's perfect because we're at the end of our patch notes. I will say one more thing that you can easily Google Civilization VI uh, Winter Update 2016, and you will find a full list of updates there. We'll also make sure to uh, to tweet out this page. But yes, Dan, let's let's talk about the controversy that you uh, you you tipped me off to. Because when did we get this pack? This actually just launched. 
Um, yeah, this week. Yeah, I mean, it was this week. Yeah, he was like Wednesday. You're right, and it's it's Saturday now with the Christmas fever in the air. I barely had time to even acknowledge this um, this little pushback that we got. But uh, apparently, you were telling me on Steam, some people were a little miffed about these counting as two individual packs. Again, referring to Poland being an individual DLC and the Viking scenario pack being an individual DLC. Now, where people are getting rubbed the wrong way is if you were a digital deluxe buyer or one of the legendary um, edition owners, you got four free upcoming DLC packs. Well, uh, this, this these two could easily have been combined into one is what some people, I guess, are saying. Dan, do you want to key us in on what you read on Steam and such? Well, first things first, people complaining on Steam Never. Mm. Who'd have thunk it? Mm. Never seen that before. You know, people love using that kind of review system on Steam to vent and outlet all of their frustration. And yeah. I mean, you know, I get it. I, like, we, we're, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna rail on people again this week. We did that enough last week. But I mean, I get that if you're frustrated with a game, you want to express that frustration. Why do it in the Steam feedback, an area that actually, you know, strongly influences people's propensity to purchase a product. Like you are, again, you are working against logic by doing that. But anyway, I, I digress. There are a lot of people who um, were, I mean, I don't want to say that they were, they were upset. I mean, it looked like they were just kind of reacting in the moment to the fact that these um, DLCs were included separately. I think that's kind of the fundamental thing. I think that people thought that um, these were two DLCs that should be combined. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I I did not get the deluxe edition. Kyle, you got the deluxe edition. Right? I did. Yes, that's what I play. So perhaps I should kind of defer to you because it's unfair of me to pass a value judgment on something that doesn't really affect me. Are you upset by the fact that these two uh, these two packs were included separately and therefore took up two of your four free DLC? I, I love this question, um, and and what's really very very interesting is some of these reviews, by the way, on Steam are are players that are at about or very close to the same amount of hours we have on record. Um, I forget what mine is. I'm above fifty hours. I'm not claiming I sit here and play Civ every day, but a lot of these negative reviews that are at the top of this list are people between like eighty hours and hundred and fifty hours. So these are pretty pretty dedicated players. Um, just, but I would also say dedicated casual player, something like that. So I feel like um, I'm in this mix. And value question, okay, so here's the dangerous thing. We, as anyone who bought the Digital Deluxe Edition, fully acknowledge that, yes, we are getting four random, you know, un unannounced DLC packs that are coming. So we kind of, I guess, put it in good faith that they were going to be something that we wanted. Now, that's a fallacy on our part. You know, we just, again, took it on faith. So I'm not angry down to my core. And again, at $5 a pack, it is $5, yes. I'm not trying to diminish, you know, people's, you know, hard-earned $5. But at the same time, these days, you know, a cup of coffee at Starbucks runs you $5 at the same time. So is this the end of the world? No, these aren't $25 packs or, you know, $30 DLC packs that we're getting, you know, no choice on. But I will say... I, I will never play that Viking scenario, and that that just goes off of me looking at hindsight. I shouldn't say never in the sense that maybe I will try it someday just to say that I did. Podcast is a really, really good excuse to get into something I wouldn't usually try, but 
I'm not a huge uh, th- this this scenario is not one I would go out and buy on my own is I guess a good way to put it. So they it kind of sucks that it used the five dollars. I would rather have um, a couple additional. I'd rather have this just take up one of my four things instead of two. But at, at the end of the day, it, it is kind of just picking you know a fight over five bucks and therefore i kind of break even no i won't play the vikings anytime soon but i do really like having poland um and that being said dan you drew my attention to something that i didn't know which makes me actually very okay with this viking pack because the viking scenario pack adds some uh some new things into every game um it adds them to it adds six new city states into the base game it adds three new natural wonders and i think that's pretty awesome um where do you stand on on some of this stuff even though you didn't buy the deluxe yeah i i mean that's great the the three new natural wonders is is great i think that there were only 12 in the game before adding um three i haven't run into any of them in the game um but I think that's great. I think that the addition of six more city states with their own unique diversified bonuses is great. Do I think it's worth $5.50? Probably not. Um, because I'm like you, I'm not a big scenario player. That being said, I might try them now. But um, I guess, and again, I, I don't, it's not fair for me to pass a value judgment on the actual um, benefits or, or whether or not I think it's ethical or whatever for them to release these as two separate packs because I, I have to buy them separately anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, full value for my my latte, basically, which is what it costs me to download Poland. Uh-huh. Full value for that. Um, Poland's a great sieve and, uh, and they're fun and they add they just add something new to the game, a new style and a new, a new face to see. Um, you are, know, are you getting your lattes worth of Poland? Yeah, that's exactly. Our we measure things it. in lattes on the show, everyone. Well, that's how people have to think about it. And I know that we're a little older and we have jobs. And if you're if you're younger, money isn't something that might be as easy to come by. So I can understand that and respect that. But like, really, at the end of the day, it's five. It's it's five dollars. You go to Subway and you get, you know, uh, what is it like? A, well, in Canada here, it's like a four dollar sandwich. After tax, it's four fifty. You eat that in five minutes. Okay, well, you know, just make your lunch one day. Right. And then that night, use that five bucks that you would have spent on Subway, free advertising for Subway here, and come home and put it down on the Polish DLC pack and play like one really good game with them. You'll have fun. You'll enjoy the fact that you did. And then later on, when you are playing a game with a Brogamesh or something like that, you run into them and you have to deal with their unique and specific, um, you know, uh, bonuses and, and the troubles that they they foist onto your game. You'll have fun then. At the end of the day, you, you will not you will not miss those five dollars. OK, you I will not. I, I can promise you. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, so if if uh, Subway or Starbucks, you are looking to sponsor the show, please just send us an email. And every time we have to compare, we, we promise to use a new name of one of your drinks slash subs on the show. That is like this, a meatball sub right there. That, this this DLC value update brought to you by Arby's. Well, this is, <laughs> this is five small fries worth of a DLC. <laughs> I think this is a great way to do it. If anyone out there is in charge of sponsor, sponsorships, send them our way. Um, I love it. I, there is this really interesting, you know, kind of mental breakdown in terms of like how you can 
a lot your money when it comes to the digital space. Uh, you know, there's that weird, there's weird studies on how people won't spend a dollar on an app, but yet in the real world, like with tangible items, you wouldn't think, like if you go to a store and you pick up some sort of like little tchotchke thing for a dollar, like you don't care about that dollar. It's like, whatever, here's my thing, whatever, I'm gone. But when it's uh, an app, even if it's like a fully functional app on your phone that is like a lot of content that would be very useful for your life, people struggle over that dollar. So it must be like a disconnect between the physical versus the digital and what you're actually getting and how long it's useful for. Because I I don't know. I guess I want to say that in Civ 5, I thought that the leaders that you could buy or the new Civs in Civ 5, I thought that they were overpriced at their DLC number i think it was above six dollars per sieve i could be wrong maybe it was just five but i remember at the time feeling like that was a very steep price for what i was actually getting and therefore i did not buy most of the uh the civ 5 leaders if there was someone that i really wanted to play i bought them and even towards like year six like when we were just on the precipice of getting Civilization Six, I was still considering, like, do I buy this random Civ Five leader? Will I play them? Like, I, I don't think I ever got the Inca. I like them. They seem cool, but I never had them. So I guess, like, an interesting question for people. How about you write in, listeners? It's a civcastpodcast at gmail.com. But tell us if you are – tell us if you are if you don't already have these packs, are you considering buying them? Are they too steep of a price at $5? Is that is that worth it? Um, I play some other games, like uh, Company of Heroes is a, one of my favorite RTSs, and that company is really trying to – make a lot, a lot, a lot of DLC money on very frivolous things like face plates and stuff for <laughs> multiplayer matches. Like, And they, they would charge upwards of $3 for like a little face plate in a lobby screen. Like that's a lot of money. So at least with Firaxis, I feel like $5 is $5 well spent. Um, but I'm curious to well, get listener feedback. Yeah, it's like microtransactions. It's like how when I was back in the day when I was an obsessive League of Legends player, people would drop like, $10 and upwards for a skin, right? For an aesthetic update to a character that has no functional value, just so you look less like a noob, basically. Yeah. And it, it, it's just weird. It, it's weird what people decide to invest their money in. A little anecdotal thing. I remember one time I was out with a friend mm-hmm. and um, they had uh, WhatsApp and WhatsApp um, was at the point then where they were uh, charging a dollar for full functional use of WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. I remember we were, we were walking to the restaurant and my friend was bitching about the fact that WhatsApp wanted to charge them 99 cents for this app. Right. And I was like, okay, well, you use it a lot though. You know, you use it to talk to friends overseas and blah, 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 blah. And friends with other types of phones. And they're like, yeah, but it's stupid. I don't want to spend a dollar on this. We got to the restaurant. I remember sitting down there. My friend orders a burger. And the the, the server's like, okay, well, you know, what do you what do you want with that burger? Do you want fries? And like, uh, you know, how much extra are yam fries? And the server's like, 250. And my friend's like, okay, I'll get the yam fries. And I remember, and I always remember this. I looked at those and said, see, half of your yam fries is your WhatsApp update and my friend just kind of my friend just kind of shook his head and was just kind of like okay well you know but to hit to i guess it's to people in the moment yeah they don't identify the the kind of tangible value of something that they're not seeing i guess and particularly it's something that you've got for free for so long which again could bring us back to our whole um you know free games microtransactions gaming model argument but Ultimately, I think that, you know, if they're, if they're, if they're giving you a, uh, you know, $5 update and that update has a fundamental functional change to the way you're playing the game, 
ergo a new civilization. I think that's a lot better than spending $10 on your aesthetic skin update for like a seasonal Halloween skin for your character in one of these games or a faceplate and company heroes, like you're saying. Yeah, I agree. I, I would love to go into a larger DLC conversation on a show. Um, maybe we could even do that something like next week and, and, and you know, cut out some time for that. Because I, I, my last thing, and I don't mean to dwell on this, is to say, you know, and I, I got it from what you were saying, maybe people are afraid to commit money to something that they really don't know how it's going to turn out, which mm-hmm. you could make that argument for just buying the game, period. You know, oh, you can't be sure how much it's actually, how awesome it's really going to be. But when it comes to like DLC packs for sure, that's one of those things. It's like you really can't test it. Once you buy it, there's no return. Like it's yours. You got to deal with it. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a loss if you don't like it. It's awesome if you do. I think that you're very safe in getting these. Um, so, so to kind of recap, I played a game uh, the other day. I, I promised people last week that I was going to play as the Congo, and I did. I launched... Um, one of the four-pronged snowflake maps that they added. So it's a, a, a four-player game. I played as the Congo. I manually put in Poland because I wanted to see what they were about. They wound up being my neighbor. Um, and we also had Gilgamesh there and Gandhi. Those two were random. So it was this very weird um, – it was this very weird uh, – group of leaders that were all kind of more focused towards unity and like playing together none of them were like heavy warmongers per se i know gandhi has the um the debuff if you go to war with him you know your people lose happiness faster or something like that their their amenities go down they get war weariness i guess um gilgamesh was there trying to declare joint wars and poland was an interesting neighbor i was telling you off air dan but she was kind of this like Weird mix of a very regal, reserved leader next door. Like, she expanded, rightfully so, but not too much into my territory. Actually, the point that we had a couple tiles separating our furthest most cities, which can be weird because a lot of times you'll be, like, trying to really settle almost on top of one another to kind of force them out of your land. But she left space there. She was... um. She she made some questionable demands on me uh, in terms of telling me to move stuff away from her border and, and that sort of stuff, but still stayed very respectful of me, didn't really want to go to war anytime soon. So I'm, I'm curious to actually try her out and see what she's all about. Um, did you have any interesting run-ins that you wanted to report? I know we didn't really talk about our shows at the top. Well- yeah, can we Throw talk about? I, I I wanted to just talk a little bit about um, Poland, kind of fundamentally yeah, as a, as a sieve, if that's okay. Um, what do you, so Golden Liberty, um, their unique uh, civ ability, which uh, basically allows for you to claim surrounding tiles when you build an encampment or a fort in your territory, including those surrounding tiles of foreign cities. Um, I think that that is super useful functional ability regardless of what victory or style you're going for and i think that what that allows for more than anything else the ai loves forward settling in this game Mm -hmm. and i think that um you know now you've got to be extremely wary of a forward settling poland because you know they can just they can just set up right on your doorstep as the ai is want to do and then just go build an encampment at the at the outskirts of their border and all of a sudden they swallowed up you know two or three of your tiles and that could be a huge pain in the ass right i mean definitely you know you you've got your um one military policy slot being turned into a wild card slot that to me is is um is also fantastic right because if you're not going 
for a military type victory, um, I can often find those military slots. I kind of ignore them almost. Well, now I can just go plug in one of my, you know, great profit points or something like that into that military policy slot. And functionally, that's going to be super useful. So uh, I remember that Poland in Civ V was a top tier, outstanding civilization that people always would, would go back to as being one of the strongest in the game. Um, and just on the outset here with their Civ abilities um, the, and the leader bonuses, uh, and we can talk about Lithuanian Union, their leader bonus if you want, but I see them as being, you know, uh, equally strong here now in this game. Oh yeah, and and just to kind of to touch on that um, military card slot, military card slot. It changes up your whole um, beginning of the game structure in a small way because you are. Oh, sorry. There's a loud vehicle outside. Everyone, I apologize. But um, if you're hearing that, but um, anyway, it, it kind of changes how you can slot in your first cards. You can, you know, you, you've been traditionally stuck in this military and uh, economic card slot. So for me, I go like, okay, I want the barbarian um, combat card, and then I usually go with the one that gives faith and gold, at least until I get a pantheon. But now, you know, you can, you have a little bit more versatility from the very start of your policies. You you don't need to go a military card if you don't want to. You could go with, you know, the one that gives faith and gold and that one that is plus one production. So this this, um, civilization will be one that's pretty interesting to watch how people min-max the early game for it. You know how I could really particular just just spitball on a bit here. How I could mm-hmm. really see an early religious kind of bonus to that is, um, I think it's when you research mysticism, which is pretty early on in the civics tree. You get that um, purple card for plus two great profit points, but you True. often can't use it. You can't use it until you get political philosophy and until you get one of your early um, government types. So what you might actually be able to do with this is rush mysticism get that plus two great profit point um, purple card and then plug it into your military um, turned into wild card slot now and be pumping out great profit points earlier than most any other sieve can do it. And I mean, with a sieve, but with a sim bonus like that, that's so versatile, it really allows you to focus on any victory type. But I think you and I would probably agree that um, if you're not looking domination, I think that, the the one to lean into would probably be a religious victory for them. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that's an amazing idea. Now you have me kind of like plugging things together in my head. I I think that's very interesting of rushing the great profit there with that card slot. I mean, that's kind of the cool thing is it's going to open up all these different ideas of how you want to press your attack with Poland. And and when I say attack, I mean like you know whether it's religion or or, or otherwise. Um, that's going to be awesome. Now I really, really want to get into them and and do some new stuff. Um, yeah. Any thoughts on the Vikings? I figure we should talk about them and some of their city states here. If you're if you're comfortable where we left off on Poland, because um, the Viking scenario pack, though, like I said, not one that I'm going to quickly jump into playing myself. I am pretty excited for these um, these new city-states being added. Uh, I'm excited for the new Natural Wonders. I actually ran into one of those city-states the other day. Uh, let's see, who was it from this list? i got to find it. Great radio. Um, is it Muscat? Is that how you pronounce that? I don't even know. Yeah, Muscat or something like Muscat. that. Muscat something they give um <laughs> bonus amenities in cities 
with a commercial hub. So this actually was awesome because I was playing as the Congo who gets great merchant points um, from their their uh, commercial hubs. So I was already prioritizing those and then to get bonus amenities from the uh, being suzerain of the city-state was very, very nice. Um, also coupled with the... Um, I'm drawing a blank on the name now, but the uh, the Mumbanzas that the Congo yeah. can build. So I was, you know, having lots of population, lots of housing room, um, these extra amenities coming. I was able to get up the Coliseum. So it was a, it turned into it was some tough for a little bit, but then when I got all these things working together, it was really really cool. And I guess I kind of want to call out another city state I'm interested in seeing is. Um, is it Auckland there? That's the additional production for coastal tiles. So Auckland, if you're, yeah. Yeah, so Auckland, if you're playing them, or if your suzerain is them and you're playing a naval civilization, that's awesome. Anyone that yeah, you that, are eager to try or see? Well, I love um, the idea of the, the Grenada silly, uh, silly state. The Grenada city state, uh, they're a militaristic one, and um, that they can construct these Alcazar improvements, which protect military units and provide culture. I remember a couple episodes ago, I was talking to you about how cool I thought it was when I could start building those great heads, which are the mm -hmm. suzerain bonus for Leventa, and how they completely took me off guard, and I just thought it was completely badass. I love any kind of um, functional and, um, you know, a bonus that you could see basically like this. Right. And so the fact that... Um, you know, with this uh, Grenada city-state, you can build this Alcazar. I'm really stoked to see what that looks like. And also to see that it provides culture, meaning that you can kind of, you know, maybe lean into your sub-victory type of culture. And I can also see that Arma, um, which is a religious city-state, builders can now construct the monastery improvement, Ooh. which provides faith and heals religious units, wow. which again, I, I like... I, and I mean, we've talked about diplomacy being something that they still, I think, need to build out and improve over the course of expansions and so forth in this game. Mm -hmm. But I do like the way that they've implemented um, city-states and the Envoy system into the game. I think as a bare-bones thing, it's better than just, you know, feeding money to the city-states like you did in Civ Five. Yeah. Um, you know, the Envoy system's great, and I particularly love these suzerain bonuses that you get, which allow you to really, you know, either diversify if you, if you manage to become the suzerain of, of a city state type, that's different from where you're focusing or really lean even further heavily into something like you were saying about Muscat. I mean, Innocentius emphasizes the commercial hub as being like the go-to district in the game to build. And now if you follow his line of thinking and you build commercial hubs early and often, well, you get bonus amenities with those now and you're going to be humming along real quick. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like the inclusion of these city-states and the inclusion of the three new uh, natural wonders as well, which I haven't run into, mm -mm. but which I'm curious to see. Uh, what they do, I'm curious if uh, Eliafayokel, the the Icelandic volcano one, if it if it like reduces your ability to fly airplanes over it, uh, and if people don't get what I'm referring to, um, <laughs> Eliafayokel, that's just a stupid history joke right there. But Eliafayokel's that volcano that exploded back in 2000, uh, it's like 2008 or 2009, that caused that huge ash cloud that stopped um, air travel over the Atlantic mm -hmm. for like two or three weeks or whatever. So I am curious to see what that gives me as well as Giant's Causeway, which is a 
a beautiful natural wonder uh, in Northern Ireland. It's that one that looks, and Kyle, I talked to you about this off air, but yeah. Giant's Causeway is that one that looks like um, steps, basically, in uh, the northern coast of Northern Ireland, I believe. And that's going to be a gorgeous one to see. And I'm very curious to see what it provides as well. Yeah, Giant's Causeway is awesome. If you uh, if you don't know it off the top of your head, go go give it a look. Actually, what's funny is these these steps um, here, Dan, are all cut like little hex uh, hex. You know, yeah, they are funny. So, so yeah. you can go play real life Civ on these steps. Go, go take your little figurines or something and, and move <laughs> them around. Um, but no, I'm, I'm excited. You know, anything that adds new content into the game like that, um, I find these city states to be so so interesting. And the fact that they are random to each game kind of makes it like finding a hidden gem. Um, I really like that the bonuses are actually unique instead of in Civ Five where you're throwing it throwing money at just like a point system, so you can actually get some real tangible rewards like you said i love the idea of building those um like the little heads and the, the alcazars and stuff one thing i will continue to say i'm a little bit you know uh, iffy on is i i like the envoy system i do but i feel like i'm always in a a losing battle to win over suzerain status from other civs i don't know if that's just me i don't know if it's because i tend to get grease in my games and they're always a little bit better towards befriending them uh, dan do you at all feel like you are to, to give you more of a setup here i always feel like my policy cards i'm always putting in the one that's like plus two envoy points instead of one um or influence points i should say i just i always feel like i'm losing the race to become suzerain is that something you're getting to or do you feel like you often lock them down and secure them or how's that working no, I'm in the same boat. I find that I'm often behind in the suzerain race and that, you know, the moment you become suzerain five turns later, you're not. But I'm going to go against you a little bit here and say that I actually don't mind that. I think that it adds a level of difficulty to it. And I think that the Envoy system would be pretty damn pointless and 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 quite boring if, you know, the AI didn't emphasize it as much as it, as it seems to because it forces you to try and find ways to continuously pump out these envoy points and it forces you to always be on your toes on the diplomatic side. And we talk about wanting there to be more of a diplomatic emphasis in the mm -hmm. game. I think I think the fact that the AI emphasizes it allow not allows us, you know, a, a different way to look at it, but it makes us always keep an eye on it as opposed to maybe just, you know, throwing nine envoys at a, at a city state and not having to worry about it for the rest of the game. Um, I do think it keeps you on your toes. So I'm going to disagree with you a little bit there. I'm going to agree the with the functional fact that I, I am always losing out in uh -huh. the race, but I'm going to disagree with you as to whether or not I think that's a bad thing. I actually think it's, it's, pretty good thing that keeps diplomacy as a relevant um, thing that requires micromanaging. I, I like that. I, I think I, I will put one last thing in here to say, I guess I wish I maybe had more control over how I get those points. And you know what might do it for me? I'm just, this is me spitballing here, but you know how you can do commercial hub focuses and um, industrial focuses in your cities? Like you can actually put production points towards getting those influence points um, to win mm -hmm. over your – I wish you could do those kind of projects maybe for influence to get these envoys. Some, something. I, I want something I can act upon instead of a passive card slot for me. I feel like I'm – to me, I, I like what you're saying. I like the challenge too. I don't want it to become – 
something that yeah. I forget about. But if anything, I feel like I am maybe forgetting about it a little bit more than I should right now because I feel like I can't affect the necessary change for what I want to do. So no, that's that's fair enough. What was that? Do you remember what that uh, wonder was in Civ Five? that you got that that really was heavily like it gave you some huge diplomacy bonus oh. and turned diplomacy into like more of a commodity than it is right now oh. i remember which one it is i can't remember civilization five wonder you said yeah civ five wonder remember there was a oh god what the let's heck was see it? what the interweb says yeah. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah. should i read them <laughs> so, all off every single wonder from this game no 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 but but take a look for the one i'm talking about when you are looking for Say that you're that you're right. I would like it to f- diplomacy to feel like more of a commodity, more like a measurable um, and influenceable uh, commodity in the game than it is right now, because it does feel like a background thing. Um, and so, I guess, yeah, I, I just, I guess, I guess the way that they could do that would be to to make it, um, it something you can build upon with with workers or build upon with buildings or wonders. Have you found what wonder that was yet? Um, well, there was uh, when I s- typed in diplomacy here. The only thing that popped up really was the United Nations, which triggers the voting process. But I don't think that's the one you were looking for. Uh, no, here um, I'll, I'll I'll look it up. We'll we'll have yeah. Pardon that I can't. Some really good radio here. Yeah, it's it's great radio. I mean, everyone, <laughs> turn to your internet right now and flip to page five. That's where we're reading from. Uh, no, uh, you you go ahead and look that up. I'm sorry, I can't remember that one, but. Um, it's uh, yeah. I, if I could act upon it a bit more, it would make me happy. Because to your point, I want the AI to fight me on it. Don't get me wrong there. That's great. I don't want to be the only player on that scene. I just feel like I'm always using my one um, diplomatic card slot always for the same card every single time. And that kind of makes me feel a little bit pigeonholed. And if we have a listener that knows this better and you're huge in the influence game and envoys, actually write us in. Tell us tell us what's up with that because I maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. I know that there are um, diplomatic cards I would like to put in. Like there's the one that you actually start to get science, culture, and gold from however many ci- uh, city-states that you're suzerain of. I would like to use that one more often, but I feel like I'm always too busy in the suzerain race and don't have them locked down enough to actually go ahead and use that next policy card. So I feel like for me, I'm just having a little bit trouble with this stepping stone thing and actually getting to the next level. Don't know. I found it. I found it. it. What is it? It's Forbidden Palace. Forbidden Palace in Brave New World gave you two additional delegates to the World Congress. Oh, 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 yeah. oh, yeah. I wasn't yeah. even thinking of that one. No, so that wasn't something that, that it had out of the gate, but with the diplomacy um, focus in, in Brave New World, it uh, it added that kind of as, a, as an additional um, attribute bonus for it. So something like that, um, which again, they'll probably implement like they did um, with Civ Five, they'll probably implement that in uh, in later whatever expansion packs when they start emphasizing diplomacy a bit more. Oh God, we're almost out of time, so I don't want to dive into this topic on its own. But thoughts? I mean, I guess the World Congress at some point is going to be a probably a physical wonder on the map, huh? Like the United Nations; those are all going to take up a tile, I would guess. So. I hope so. I, I hope that they have some kind of, you know, districting too that you could uh, focus. Maybe like a maybe like a government district, like a parliament oh, cool. or something like that would be. Oh, see, awesome. Can holler back at this episode in three years when they actually have that when they have the new district parliament or whatever that you could add that helps your uh, 
Uh, you heard it here Dang first, it. folks. You now all I first. want for Christmas is a like a physical parliament that I can place on the map. There's just so many cool ideas about that. What if you need trade routes to like go to your to your United Nation? Who uh there'd be cool stuff that you could implement. I'm really excited. Um Dan, we are running uh we're we're almost 50 minutes out of our hour here. So we are gonna do a couple more things before the end of the episode. Dan, you want to talk about the Civ of the Week and your historical minute. Um we're also gonna do a little fun segment on our way out the door here in uh, some Christmas gifts we want to give to our, our our lovely leaders out there. But Dan, do you want to you take it away with your stuff first? Yeah, sure. Our sip of the week this week is, is the brand new uh, kid on the block, and that's Poland. Um, Kyle, I wanted to talk a little bit. One thing we didn't touch on, we didn't touch on Uh-oh. their unique unit or oh, their yeah. unique building. Um, and uh, the winged Hussar, which is... Um, just one of my very favorite unique units in Civ history. I loved it in Civ 5 and in Civ 6, it's really cool. And one of the neat things the Wing Hussar really does, I don't know if you noticed or saw it maybe in the video, they knock units back. Mm-hmm. And I think that is that is really cool. Um, aesthetically, the Wing Hussar is just a gorgeous unit and uh, props to Firaxis for their um, art style really, really standing out in this unit. Um, and they're, they're just they're just a really cool unit, a heavy cab unit that you uh, you unlock through mercenaries that folks you are just going to love and you're going to spam and you're going to um, build a ton of. But the unique building, um, I'm not the 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 Sukinis. Good lord, like uh, no chance. Of now me it pronouncing sounds that. like me trying to pronounce things. Yeah. Like like you trying to pronounce Nagambe by Nagambe. There you go. <laughs> Only practicing. a week later. Uh, but if you look at the Sukhanese, I think that um, this okay, it gives you it gives you plus three gold, plus one citizen slot, plus one great merchant point per turn, plus four gold from domestic trade routes, which is unreal. Which is because domestic trade routes are something that I love doing in like the mid game when mm-hmm. you're really branching out and expanding your sieve. But of course, the one thing they don't inherently give you that you get from international trade routes is that gold bonus. Mm-hmm. So now. This plus four gold bonus from domestic trade routes is going to be crazy cool um, because that's going to kind of offset that and really probably help people feel more comfortable in focusing on domestic trade routes. I think that's fantastic, as well as you getting plus two production from international trade routes, which offsets the one negative from international trade routes, which is that you don't always get really good production bonuses. So this seems like an all-around beast of a unique building um, and one that really uh, kind of offsets, um, you know, the uh, the commercial hub, the inherent kind of commercial bonuses. Um, and it, it replaces the market. So it's not like it, it replaces something that, um, you know, you, uh, that, that it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily replace something that it doesn't fill in well right. for, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It really builds well upon the market and is going to allow you to, well, frankly, generate a hell of a lot of gold to pump out those winged hussars even more. Yeah, that that's an awesome one. I uh, I, I really like this. This is, I mean, plus three gold and a, plus four gold from domestic trade routes. That's, I mean, that's so much. So I love it. That I could see how that makes a very, very powerful uh, kind of economy for her. So very, very interested to get in and, and try her out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, th- this stuff is really cool. They've done a good job with Poland again, and it appears to me as though Poland is once again a top-tier beast. Mm-hmm. And now you have a historical minute lined up for us? Yeah, and it's going to be a really quick mm-hmm. one. 
Um, Jadiga, the the Polish uh, leader in this game, uh, Polish history is actually really fascinating. They're a nation that is is constantly um, not at war, but constantly always seems to be under threat for mm. its very existence. Um, and Jadiga herself, she is a, a really cool uh, a really cool leader to have in the game because. I mean, you look at Jaudiga and you automatically think, okay, well, you know, she uh, she's the the queen of Poland. But actually, Kyle, did you know that Jaudiga, when she was crowned, was actually crowned as the king of Poland? Um, the tradition in some of those uh, some of those Eastern European states being that even female monarchs, who were unlike Western European um, states, who were actually higher up in kind of the line of succession, they were actually still crowned as kings. And so Jaudiga, when she was crowned in Krakow um, in 1384, she was crowned as king of Poland. But um, she married a guy called Vladislaw, who was um, the Duke of Lithuania. And their marriage, um, and I believe it was 1387, served to unite the two kingdoms of Poland and Lithuania. And those of you with a keen eye will notice that the uh, the unique uh, what is it? The, the leader bonus that you get from Jaudiga is called Lithuanian Union. And uh, what that gets you is that gives you the ability to claim territory off another city via Poland civility, and that converts it to your religion. Relics provide plus four gold, plus two culture, and plus two faith. Well, that is a, another one of these really cool, historically appropriate um, you know, uh, bonuses or, or abilities or whatever, because actually um, Vladislaw, uh, he was what you might want to call a quote-unquote heathen mm. up until he married Jadiga. And then in order to inherit the Polish throne, um, the, the Polish monarchy basically forced him to become Catholic because Poland is this great um, Eastern European Catholic kingdom, the bastion of Catholicism in Eastern Europe. And so in order to unite these two kingdoms, Jadiga and the, um, the Polish monarchy and the Polish nobility basically went to Vladislaw and said to him, okay, well, you... You have to convert to Catholicism. And so he did, and he made Lithuania a Catholic kingdom. And as a result, this Polish-Lithuanian commonwealth that grew out of this was an enormous kingdom. Um, and uh, Vladislaw himself became king and was actually the longest reigning Polish monarch for a very long time. Um, so again, props to Firaxis for having some really neat historical Easter eggs for geeks like you and I. Um, they've done a really cool job of, uh, of implementing those kind of things in there. And the fact that you, uh, you convert the sieve, the, the territory, oh, yeah. um, that you, that you claim as part of Lithuanian union becomes part of your religion. It's just, I love it. I love it. It's so cool. It's so historically appropriate and fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, uh, if you ever want to read up on uh, maybe a, a sieve's history that you don't know a hell of a lot about, Read about Poland because they have a really tumultuous um, history. And the interesting part really starts with this kind of Polish-Lithuanian union of Jadiga and Vladislaw and carries all the way through to really to the 20th century when it was occupied, of course, by first uh, Germany during World War II and then the USSR uh, during the Cold War. So yeah. that is the historical minute. I love it. Thank you very much for that, Dan. So I think uh, I think just from our talking alone here, we're basically giving Poland, it sounds like two thumbs up, uh, at least this early in the testing process. So For sure. 
sure. I think that this with the, the with the new challenge this week being Poland, um, a big big send off to everyone to say actually go out play the game, send us your thoughts on it, uh, send us your thoughts on a lot of things for this episode. You know, is is that DLC worth it? You know, where do you where do you stand? We really want to hear your thoughts. Give us a review on Poland if you get to play a game, if you get to do the challenge. You know, take it a step or, uh, further. Let us know what you actually think of them. And then Dan, you had a little fun idea in the holiday spirit to uh, to, to think of some gifts to give our our lovely leaders here that do so much for us in in Civilization Six. Uh, you want to tell me the idea you had behind this? Yeah, well, it's Christmas, and I, I think that our uh, our leaders in Civ Six, some of them, I'm looking at you, Germany and Frederick Barbarossa, probably don't need gifts. They've got all they need, right? But some of them, some of them could use a little love. Some of them could use uh, maybe a bit of a, a bit of a package under the tree from Firaxis, if you will. So, I wanted to start, if I could with the Civ that's rapidly growing into one of the most fun for me to play, and that was Spain. And I just, I thought that Spain needed needed something. They needed a uh-huh. little juice. They needed something in order to make them a more top-tier viable Civ. And I was going to say, maybe given an extra bonus to um, the combat strength from El Escorial or something like that, but Firaxis actually went ahead and, and they acted as their own kind of secret Santa here for Philip II. <laughs> and in that update, they gave him that, that added faith bonus for the missionary. Um, so they kind of took away my gift. I mean, I, I, guess I, I guess I could re-gift that added faith bonus for Philip II, um, but that would be my first gift. Would be make make Philip just make Philip great again. Make make him a little make more make Philip powerful. great again. Make Philip great again. And Firaxis Firaxis beat me to the punch and gave him that gift of a little added faith bonus for the mission. Oh, how nice! Yeah, uh, I I I'm gonna I mine actually wound up being a good uh, lump of things that I all wanted to do at once. So. I, I told people last week that I was going to play the Congo, which I did. I kind of want to wrap that game up. But uh, Montezuma is up next on my list of people to play. And so I I do have some things that he, I feel like he needs. I mean, first of all, I think we need to give him a heart because they love their uh, – their, 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 um, there's ritual sacrifices. Apparently, Dan, I was doing some. <laughs> human sacrifices. They're human sacrifices. I was doing some reading the other day, and now is the time, by the way, December, whatever it is, like 24th ish. Uh, I think it starts on the 21st. There's a whole new cycle for the Aztecs to tear out hearts in, uh, in, honor of their, I think their patron saint of uh, Tenochtitlan, and they have, uh, here, I'm going to work on my pronunciations, everyone, for you, so I, I will know what I'm talking about in the game. I guess the patron god of Tenochtitlan is uh, Huitzilopochtli, uh, I said that better nice. earlier, Huitzilopochtli, nice. and he is the patron saint of the city, like I said, another big shout out to Quetzalcoatl, their other god, which I think is referenced within the game. Um, he, I think, needs some better focus in his life, um, Montezuma, and I'm not exactly sure what that means. They have him very focused on amenities in this game, but I don't really see that as being a huge benefit to him. Like, at the same time we were talking on Poland today, I was poking around the Civwikia, and, like, his unique... Uh, district improvement sort of thing. They're, his building is is kind of all over the place. It gives amenities. It gives religion, but they're not really that religious of a sieve to me. I, I don't really know what's going on. So in addition to a heart, Montezuma, uh, I, I think I'm going to say that you need a new building that's a little bit more military focused if that's the route that you're going to go. Um, so 
there's to you. Here's something useful. Build something better. Uh, no, I think I think that's that seems fair. I mean, if if anyone could use make him make him a bit more vulnerable, give him a heart. I think he could probably another guy who could probably use with the gift of a heart would be Gandhi, right? But I think that that's for a completely different reason. I don't think he's going to sacrifice it. I think he just he just needs one. Hey, he doesn't uh, always he doesn't always you know he doesn't always use his. I just say. I just realized that um, uh, actually some of these weird names that I've been calling out, like Wichelapochli, is actually in the game. So he says it when a player denies an invitation. So, uh, yeah. So everyone, we learned something new today, just in time for the Christmas season. Don't forget to wrap your hearts and put them in boxes under the tree tonight. Wait, don't do that. That's not that's not an American tradition. Sorry. We're not we're not going to advocate for that. Yeah. No, Speaking of American Sorry. traditions, probably enough. Another guy who could use with uh, with a gift of a buff of some kind from Firaxis mm. would be Teddy Roosevelt and the Americans because I just I find them to be irrelevant in pretty much every game I see and that's that's not my Canadian bitterness rising to the fore by the way that's me just pointing out the fact that I mean founding fathers is a civilization ability the like government legacy bonuses in half the usual time Boring. do you do you ever really notice that like not I, at I, all. No. I don't. I and, don't I like I like the P fifty one Mustang too, but the film studio falls flat for me as well. Well, I like the P fifty one Mustang in theory, but here's mm-hmm. my question. I mean, we know that the AI is a little bit nerf. They they don't know how to use air combat apparently at this mm-hmm. point in the game. So, number one, I'm not a big um, American Civ player. Like I just rarely ever roll them, if ever. So I don't think. Uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to see this P-51, first of all. Second of all, I don't really ever use fighters. Um, that's never been a, a, a part of the game that's ever been developed for me, and that goes for all of Civ Five. Um, I am always a bomber sort of guy because they do more damage, I believe, to land and naval units as well as taking down those pesky city defenses. So I agree with this gift, uh, or get, at least with the idea that he needs a gift. Uh, did you have something in mind that maybe would help him out or something you want to see maybe that legacy bonus needs to go? Well, I mean, maybe just founding fathers needs to be expanded upon. I mean, you need to give him something to do maybe with, with, with policy slot bonuses or maybe diplomacy bonuses or something, because it is just a complete yawner of the civ ability. I do agree with you that P-51 Mustang is not as functionally useful in the whole air combat scheme as a bomber. I mean, I think that most people emphasize just the, the badass utility of bombers in air combat. Mm-hmm. I, I do want to give the P-51 Mustang some love. In, I remember in the game I played with China where I got really deep into the game, I was actually getting into some really cool um, 1v1 kind of air fights between my fighters and the P-51 Mustang. I was getting just rocked by the Mustang. So it is, wow. a, it is, a, really, it is a really cool unit. And if you do get into one of those rare games where you get late enough into the game to really get into air combat. It can Mm -hmm. be great. Um, So, I mean, maybe that would be okay, but come on, Teddy needs some love. Founding Fathers is is just boring. And the film studio, I don't know anybody who's going to go play an American game and really lean heavily into a culture play. Especially so late in the game. Like the film studio is not early. No, it's not. There's just there's just no synergy in any of his stuff, man. Give Teddy some love. Yeah, Give Teddy I, some. I think this this little experiment here has been very interesting to call out some of the ones we really feel need help. I mean, it started as a Christmas thing, but um, <laughs> Teddy Montezuma. And I'm sorry, who was your first one, Dan? I'm drawing a blank now. 
Philip. Philip got his gift in the update. That's he why I'm drawing a blank. Gift. He already got yeah. his. Um, I, you know, I've already said my spiel about England needing a little bit more synergy. The rest of them, I feel like, are doing pretty well. Like, they're anyone else you want to give a gift to? Well, if we're talking about gifts just to make them better, I think that Harry. Oh, sorry, lost you cut out there a bit, Dan. Oh, sorry. Um, if we're talking about gifts for civs that are, are a little on the weaker side, I think that Norway is kind of bleh. like Harold's, Harold's uh, pillaging and yeah. his NAR civ ability where units can enter deep ocean after researching shipbuilding, no movement cost to embark or disembark. That is also functionally super boring. I think he yeah. needs some, some ex, something, something to do with pillaging or something to do with um, some added kind of pillaging bonus. I know the berserker gets a pillaging bonus, but give his civ, some sort of inherent Viking-related bonus. Maybe, maybe maybe stick an extra Viking helmet in his stocking. Really inspire him <laughs> to get out there and and pillage in true Viking tradition. Hashtag give Harold more. Give uh, Harold. Give him. Give him his helmet. Back. Give, give Harold a helmet. That's right. Uh, I love it. I love this little thing. You're right. Frederick Barbarossa needs nothing new. Um, did you nothing. also notice when you see him in the game and he he says hi to you? He's like, yes, I am, you know, king or emperor of the Holy Lands and blah, blah, blah. And he actually goes on to a thing where he's like, et cetera, et cetera. Like he doesn't even want to <laughs> list all the things that the HRE entails. Like he's like, meh, you get it. Yeah. So, whereas whereas our friend Philip, he loves listing exactly everything. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does that he, too. He rules. Oh, <laughs> so it's cool. No, I love it. I love, I love it, it too. Uh, I guess we are here at the end, everyone. You got a little uh, extra room here uh, on this this bonus Christmas Eve episode, so we hope you enjoy it. As a reminder, please send us any emails or thoughts you have, whether it's feedback on the show, feedback on some of the new stuff that's coming to Civ 6, whatever it is. Send that over to civcastpodcast at gmail.com. That is where we live. Uh, you can find the website. That is Kyle Dem studios.com backslash civcast uh, also you can go to bit.ly backslash civcast they'll take you to the same place as mentioned previously that's where you're going to find the new updates to the civcast challenge apologies to anyone that i didn't get to last week on twitter like i said busy busy time here in the holidays uh, but you can find me there it's at kyle dempster 7 dan is over there at dan the max and uh, we have civcast at civ underscore cast uh, please, please, please feel free to share this podcast with your friends that are getting the game, especially if you have friends that are just getting the game for the holiday season. Word of mouth is everything. You know, send them a link to it. We would love to have them as a listener. We'd love to have them playing uh, uh, the Civcast Challenge with us. So that would be awesome. If you're really in love with the show, give us a five-star review on iTunes. This reminds me I need to check those soon, uh, but we'd love to give some call-outs on the show. Also, feel free to share it on Reddit. Get uh, get the, the R Civ community involved. We love them, and uh, it'd be great if if they knew um, more about our episodes and things like that. So again, everyone, we're mis- wishing you a very, very Merry Christmas. Um, do not put a heart under the tree. We, we Dan clarified that for me. We're not supposed to do that. So I'm not. I will take that away. Dan, w- any parting words from you, my friend? Happy holidays, everyone. Uh, enjoy your families. And remember, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. There you go, everyone. So uh, let's go watch Die Hard. And uh, until then. Just one more turn. You're listening to Civcast on the Kyle Dempster Studios Network. 
For more shows like this, visit kyledempsterstudios.com.